Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to another episode of Missing Frames. This is the podcast where we watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives. I'm your host, Sean Eastridge. We're hanging out over on the Nerd Party Network. It is a wonderful group of people, a wonderful network where we talk about all things nerdy. Go check it out at thenerdparty.com. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at JoinNerdParty. Like the Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at the nerd party but we are now we're it's officially spooky season is that what the kids are calling it now spooky season yes yes exactly so we got to get some horror movies on the docket and i i think we've got the perfect horror movie to watch it's one that i haven't seen <laughs> it's halloween 3 season of the witch and i have invited two of my absolute favorite people to introduce me to this film first we've got john mills a fellow member of the nerd party john welcome back Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And we continue the fine tradition of me being on for a sequel. That is exactly. I'm glad you picked up on that. And also we've got Brad Gullickson of the Rest in Pictures podcast and the comic book couples counseling podcast back again. Hello. And I'm glad we were able to get you on for what could very well be the greatest episode of Missing Frames. Oh, uh, let's be real. I bullied my way onto this episode because (laughs) I heard you were going to be talking Halloween 3. And I don't want to out anybody just yet. But Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I heard that someone has seen Halloween 3 and doesn't quite get it. And I didn't want this episode to be like two people hating on a masterpiece. And so I said, no, Sean, I got to come on. I got to be the voice of the people. I got to be the voice for Halloween three season of the witch. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's actually, it's really, it's really interesting because I, I happen to, to know the way that this came about from my perspective was I was listening to what I felt was actually an excellent episode talking about uh, demon Knight, which is a movie I saw in the movie theater and, and love. I still, I still have a very fond uh, spot in my heart for it. It's better than I like it better than it deserves, probably. And and I enjoyed listening to it. And then somebody on that show said something insane, like referring to Halloween three as a masterpiece. And I was like, oh, I stopped the audio and I called Sean up and I said, Sean, I have to talk to you for a second. And uh, that, that's how that started from my perspective. And how it started from my perspective was just this it was a train wreck i was like these are two people i don't want to talk to at all why are they both messaging me about (laughs) a movie i don't want to see that's not true i actually am genuinely excited to see this movie and again just to we've done a couple halloween related episodes i believe or i just did one with john and we watched uh i had not seen halloween 2 i'm a big fan of of the first halloween and i had never gotten around to seeing the sequel and I watched the latest Halloween sequel, the 2018 
film. Um, and we chatted about those. So go back and listen to that. But just to reiterate, I am a huge fan of, of John Carpenter's first Halloween movie. I think it's wonderful. It's, it's a near perfect slasher film. Wasn't as big of a fan of Halloween two. It no. felt like it just kind of was like the weaker version of Halloween. And then I, I know John, you and Brad as well liked the 2018 kind of requel a little bit more than I did. I wasn't a huge fan of that either. And part of the thing is, I think you got almost everything you needed to say about Michael Myers out in the first one. And there wasn't much left for me to appreciate or to latch on to after that. So for me, there's almost a weird appeal to watching Halloween three, which is a film that has been, much maligned by fans of the franchise. This is very much the black sheep of the Halloween franchise. I know mm -hmm. it barely if it, it it barely has anything to do with the others. If anything, it was an attempt to it was a specific creative attempt on the part of the creative team to try something completely different and veer the Halloween franchise off in another direction, partially because I think they were feeling a lot of the complaints I had about Halloween 2, which is, I don't know if we can get much more mileage out of this Michael Myers character. Oh, how wrong they were. But uh, <laughs> I, I know there are, are things, I've seen bits and pieces of, of Halloween 3, and I know it's a controversial entry in this franchise, but there's something about it from what I've heard, and especially nowadays, because now we have apologetics for literally everything. There are people popping out of the woodwork and saying stuff like, oh, Halloween 3 is actually a misunderstood masterpiece. <clears throat> Brad. Um, but I want to kick things off first and foremost mm -hmm. with, with John. We'll start with you as kind of the biggest Halloween fan I know. When did you see Halloween 3 and how devastated were you? <laughs> On television as a kid. Uh, which is how I encountered the first two as well, uh, which is why actually what's really, really interesting, and I've covered this before, but like my first exposure to the very first Halloween was the infamous TV version. And so when I finally saw like the real, real version on VHS later, I was like, where are the missing scenes? What's going on here? And so that was always really interesting. But um, Halloween three, I happened to, you know, was on television. And of course I saw, you know, Halloween three. I was like, oh my gosh, of course I want to watch Halloween three. Now I'm going to, I'm going to say right here, as a kid, I rolled with it, and I <laughs> actually had very fond, nostalgic memories of the movie, uh, you know, thinking, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't fit. I wish it had been Michael Myers, but hey, you know, that ending and that, you know, all of that stuff was really interesting, and I loved, um, you know, the, the masks and all of that, and who doesn't love the iconic commercial, which is one of the greatest uh, fake commercials ever created, and then I went back and I revisited it when I was, a, you know, a bit older. And I said to myself, boy, I really wish I'd left that uh, to my television memories. <laughs> and, and that's my story with Halloween 3. And Brad, I want to hear your story. Did you, I mean, we've already established that you you are that apologetic. You're the person going to bat for this movie. I, I think you've gone so far as to call it your favorite Halloween sequel. Um, mm. I, clarify these comments for me. 
I mean, there's a few things. You've said so many things that I take issue with since this episode has started. Uh, it's hard to figure out like where I'm going to start. That's normal, but, though. Yeah. I always expect that you will take issue with things I have to say. But uh, one, I don't consider myself an apologetic. I consider myself a celebrator. Yeah, a celebrator of Halloween 3. <laughs> uh, there's nothing to apologize about. It's... Um, do I say this now and completely invalidate everything going forward? Like everyone's just going to shut off after I say this and I'm going Embrace to lose, it. Say I'm going to, it, say I'm going it, to lose Brad. everyone, but it's the best Halloween film. Okay. Oh now, my God. <laughs> now, now, and, and by best, I mean, favorite, let's be real, like art subjective mm-hmm, and all that. There's no such thing as a best. So I'm going to go with a favorite. It's my favorite Halloween movie. Now, When I grew up with these films, I knew well before I ever saw Halloween 3 that Halloween 3 did not have Michael Myers. For the longest time, because of that reason, I skipped Halloween 3. I never watched it as a kid. Mm -hmm. I never watched it when I was in high school. I watched Halloween's 1, 2, then 4, and blah, 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 blah. So many Halloweens. So many bad Halloweens. Some really good Very Halloweens. True. Some really good Halloweens, but so many bad Halloweens. I did not see Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, until college. And by that point, I had already become a maniac for Tom Atkins, the star of this movie, uh, thanks to films like Night of the Creeps and The Fog and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And... I fell in love with Halloween 3 as a cheesy, silly, goofy, weird-as-hell movie that has nothing to do with Michael Myers. If you're in a Michael Myers frame of mind, this is offensive, and I apologize, (laughs) uh, but, but it's not. It shouldn't be called Halloween 3. It should just be called Season of the Witch, and then they should have sued Nicolas Cage when he stole that title for his Medieval Times movie with Ron Perlman, which is actually also pretty good. Yeah, well, you know what? To to be fair, Donovan should have sued them for uh, having something called Season of the Witch and not using his classic hippie song. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> everybody's That's suing true. everybody. But like, yes. uh, OK, yes. just to speak to what you're saying, though, Brad, like I, I can I can respect it if you're coming from the angle of this is a kitschy midnight movie. You know, we all went out and we watched it. We had a good laugh. And then we went out and we got drunk afterwards sort of thing. But like, I can't. I look forward to subjecting myself to this movie once again, because uh, the last time I watched it, of all things, I was on a plane trip and a friend of mine gave me access to their digital copy so I could watch it on my iPad. And I said, yeah, you know what? I broke out how the flight was. I was like, yeah. Up to that point, I'd had the initial reaction as a kid. Then I revisited and said, this isn't very good. And I said, you know what? Let me give it another shot. And here I am on the plane and I'm watching it on this trip. And I just remember sitting there staring at it and saying, Oh, come on. And just <laughs> kidding. It, it has nothing to do with it being not a Michael Myers movie at that point. Now, again, I'm very curious to go back and revisit it because anybody that knows me knows that I despise flying. It immediately puts me in a bad mood. So it's entirely possible that I was addled by, you know, pressure variances and being a mile in the air and stuff like that. But I, I really don't think so. This is also one of what three or four movies that this director has done. Tommy Lee Wallace. Oh yeah. Um, 
I, I just, I know you guys know, and I, I, I am talking to the right people here, but my understanding is that the, the, the producers wanted to veer away from Michael Myers centric. Was John Carpenter consulted? Was he on board with this yes. franchise? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was. Yep. I am amazed by that. Well, here's the thing. Halloween two is an atrocity, right? Like you come off of mm. the first Halloween and it, it's very much a wannabe movie and they should well let's turned... let's make this clear that that's another thing that that's going to make people turn you off they're going to somehow find a way to to circumvent technology mute you specifically and only listen to me and John but they're about to mute me too because i know the general opinion is that halloween 2 is the only good halloween sequel quote yeah that's ridiculous i agree i i did not like halloween 2 like halloween 2 compared to halloween 4 and 5 is good okay oh everything (laughs) compared to halloween 5 is good good lord yeah yeah but 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 halloween 2 i freely admit its shortcomings it is a victim of imitation there are like three different cuts out there and your reaction to it can vary greatly by which cut that you see and because, uh, you know, I even I remember on the behind the scenes stuff, they even um, they even asked the director, well, how do you feel about a director's cut versus a producer's cut? And he actually had an incredibly philosophical response where he said, you know, it's my job as a director just to deliver whatever cut I can. And, you know, it's not really totally just my movie. And I was like, oh, that's a way to take it, buddy. But like Halloween, two, I think, has the reputation that it does because that that last act is really good. A great ending can completely make up for the foibles of, you know, if you have an hour and a half movie, a great last 15 minutes, especially in a horror movie, can make up for yeah. a whole lot of shortcomings. Yeah. And, what happens at the end of Halloween yeah. 2 again? Let's spoil well, it for everybody. Well, that that's where, you know, Michael is, um, you know, chasing. He finally, finally, Lori and the shape engage. Uh, and then she's in the parking lot and then he comes across, you know, they, they have him, you know, he goes through the plate glass of the, the door and they shoot him and then he cuts the cop's throat and they wind up in the surgery, uh, in the, uh, the operating room. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, at the end of it all, after actually some really beautifully staged stuff, like Michael gets shot in the eyes and he has these bloody tears coming down his face. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, and it all culminates with Loomis flipping his lighter open near the the oxygen tank that's spewing oxygen in and he he says goodbye michael and he clicks the lighter and the 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 operating room explodes and you see michael walk out on fire and then he falls down and burns to nothing everything wraps up cue um mr sandman and and, and so that's the end of 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 two yeah and th- again the consensus is that that halloween two lives up to the first one, but I'm siding with Brad on this because I watched it and was very much like, I didn't need this at all. Yeah, and they should have gone right into the anthology series then. Like if Halloween 1 was the Michael Myers movie and then Halloween 2 was Season of the Witch or something else, I think Halloween could have been a fun anthology series a la what Mm -hmm. Tales from the Crypt was trying to do with Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. But... Mm -hmm. uh, because they go Michael Myers, Michael Myers, then Silver Shamrock. Uh, what's all this stuff then? It was. It's very confusing, and uh, I'm sure agitating towards the fan base that had developed after the first two movies, which are straight up slasher flicks. Well, and 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 the thing is, I I I agree with you actually in principle here because 
of the fact that I, Carpenter didn't even really want to do two. He couldn't figure out a hook for two. And that's where the whole sister thing came from. I think the story goes that he was up late one night after drinking several six packs and he had writer's block. <laughs> and then he said, the brother and sister. And that's, that's how that uh, came into being supposedly. And that's why when they went back and they could film in those extra scenes for the television airing, uh, why they were able to flesh things out back through the first one to, to make it seem like it was all planned from the beginning. And it winds up confusing everybody's memory of it because a whole ton of people are like me where they encountered it on television at first. And it's like, well, of course, yeah, they dropped hints that it was his sister. But if you look at the original original, no, they did not have that in mind at all. <laughs> I'm willing to give it a shot because of the fact that I wasn't a huge fan of Halloween two for the reasons I already explained, but also for the reasons of I love Michael Myers, but to me, it's not like a nightmare on Elm street thing where with a nightmare mm. on Elm street, Freddy Krueger, even if the movies aren't great, you have the creativity of Freddy is the dream master and there will be creative kills and all sorts of insanity, bonkers imagery, great production design. And the, the problem with Michael Myers for me is that once you show him killing people, and to me, there are a few things as chilling as when he stabs the guy against the cabinet and just kind of like cocks his head and mm -hmm. sort of admires his handiwork. That to me is the epitome of like, okay, that's, that is the best of what Michael Myers has to offer as far as killing goes. So I, I, why I haven't felt the need to watch more in, of the films in this franchise is because of the fact that I'm like, well, he stabs people and he chases people and I get it, but there's not a whole lot of variety to it, which kind of makes me susceptible to being more accepting of a movie like Season of the Witch, which I also think because it's been planted in my head that it's so... It, it, typically the standard of that film is it's so bad and it's so terrible and it's an insult to Halloween. I'm almost like more, I feel like I'm in a position. I have an advantage because of the fact that I've been hearing such negative things about it, that I can only imagine my reaction at the very least will be like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. But I think with the advantage of foresight and the unique fact that I have not really been super into this franchise, I think makes me, much more open to the prospect of a film like season of the witch. I, I do think you're in a good position. Like there is definitely a, uh, you know, a, a sort of like uh, preparation to it. Like if you know what to expect going in, of course your reaction is going to be molded by that. And I, I will just be very, very interested because I think, I do think that a lot of forgiveness again goes toward horror movies that have strong endings. And as much as I do not love Halloween three, I think it has one of the most iconic and uh, terrific endings of any horror film that I've ever seen. Hmm. I, yeah. I mean, it's a great ending. I like to me, Halloween three is nothing more than a B movie, Sean, and you got to come at it with that sort of attitude, but it's not all about laughing at the movie. Certainly there's things in it, that are questionable. Tom Atkins's relationship with uh, the female a partner in this age-wise is weird. Uh, their sexual tension is awkward and inappropriate and strange. But there's also a lot in this film that I think is genuinely uh, interesting uh, or straight up gorgeous. I think the cinematography is stunning. It's shot by Dean Cundey, who the same year shot Carpenter's The Thing. He would go on to shoot Jurassic oh, wow. Park. You know, like this guy is a major visual talent. 
And there are lots of shots in Halloween three season of the witch that are uh, frameable. Um, and, and, and I think that's an interesting place to come from on it. I also like the score of this movie. It is very much an eighties score. It takes the iconic um, theme of the original Halloween and, grinds it through a synthesizer and i appreciate that as mm-hmm. well <laughs> i'm also gonna guess that there's a michael myers reference maybe a kid wears a mask or something hmm. I, I let me let me take this moment now since i'm kind of guessing what this movie's about i'm gonna try to guess what the plot of the film is oh, uh, oh good i don't know if there's a lot to guess like i i feel like whatever i come up with is not going to be as insane and ridiculous as the film but i know uh shamrock i think is the television station that the it's there's this whole undercurrent of like there's television and it's brainwashing our kids and there's some sort of sinister plot to like on halloween to get these kids to put on their masks i remember seeing that and uh and watch the tv show at a certain hour i also um again i when i haven't seen the film i try not to look too much into it but i did see on wikipedia the first sentence already has my interest peaked which is season of the witch is a 1982 american science fiction horror film and i'm like science fiction (laughs) what the hell is going on so um I, i again i guess science fiction plays a part in it which feels about as contrary to what i've come to know about this franchise but i think that's that can be expected from this film so i i that's pretty much all i got i'm guessing this this guy it's going to be kind of a a situation where this guy is uncovering the plot of this evil corporation and has to convince everyone that uh that he's not crazy that it's actually happening and i i won't lie i am I am excited to watch it simply more, not even because I really want to see it. I'm more excited to just hear what happens when we come back to discuss the film <laughs> in part two of this, this episode, but gentlemen, any final words, any, anything else before we, we make this happen? Um, yeah, I would say <laughs> I, you know what I, I would say, I I'm just going to, I'm going to go into this. I'm going into this with as open a mind as I can. That's what I'm going to say. And and how many times have you seen it, John? Oh, gosh. I've seen it definitely more than five times. Probably <laughs> around ten. Listen, okay, and before people sit there and say, but you said you don't like to move. I watch a lot of things I don't like more than once. I have no <laughs> idea why. Brad's own movie group uh, up in Virginia hosted a showing of Star Trek V, and I yeah. practically dragged people to go see it because I love Star Trek V. Yeah. And... um. So, like, Star Trek V is a much maligned movie, and I'm championing the hell out of that thing. Well, this is the first time the three of us have done an episode together, but I think it's important to point out that Star Trek V, going to see that with you, John, was what reconnected me with Brad. So somehow this feels like we've come full circle, and I can only expect that this film will be a semi-religious experience for all of us <laughs> all right first you know off, what you, no. you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not star trek five guys it is not a masterpiece in disguise uh but it is a really <laughs> good little flick I, I i'm super excited to, to revisit it i've seen it way more than five times it is the halloween movie i watch every <laughs> year and, and i watch all the halloween movies i've got that shout factory box set even four and five which i was just taking a dump on i like those movies too <laughs> um but but three i just feel like because it's such an oddity in that box set within this franchise it does tend to 
elevate itself above the others in my mind because it's so strange and shouldn't be. Uh, and as such, you know, I, I really do delight <laughs> it. And I use a lot of hyperbole around it. But it, I mean, legitimately, it's my favorite Halloween film. So when we come back, you know, just don't rip me a new one. That's all. I'm, t- I'm tender. <laughs> <laughs> well, only time will tell. So stick around, listeners, and we will be back to discuss Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Now available to own on video cassette. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We're back. We've all just watched Season of the Witch. Um, so there's a scene in this movie where Dr. Dr. Daniel Chalice is, is bound to a chair. He's got a mask on his face. And they're forcing him to watch the original Halloween on television. And Mm -hmm. all I could think was like, wow, that is the perfect torture because in that position, all he's probably thinking is, God, I wish I'd been watching that movie. (laughs) John, you know how much I love to to disagree with you, to find a reason for us to hate each other, but I'm going to have to side with John. I did not like this movie. (laughs) And Brad, I am so sorry. You need to be the full on supporter of this film for this portion of the episode. Sad for me. You're going to have to step it up a little bit, which I know you're ready for, but I was expecting it. I was expecting it. Yeah. So I, it's, it's just the fact that it wasn't, I mean, it was stupid. Let's be clear. This is a very stupid movie, but it was the fact that on every level, because I tried to watch it. Okay. It's not really a Halloween movie, but then I just couldn't get over the fact that, Yeah, but it has Halloween in the title. Would this movie have even been made if it wasn't Halloween and John Carpenter wasn't involved? Probably not. And then I just tried to watch it as a standalone movie. And I was like, well, this is just kind of boring. It's not particularly scary and it's not goofy enough to keep my attention. So I it just on every level, I, I, I couldn't get into it. There are things I liked about it, but on on the whole, I did not. I did not like it. Now, see, I I'm. I'm going to provide a little bit of support to Brad here where watching it through this time, watching it through this time, the first, you know, I I guess two thirds of it. I'm like, okay, this isn't good, but it's not offensively bad. It's, you know, I'm going along with it. Okay. Let's, let's have fun. All of that sort of thing. And I'm like, it's obviously a product of its time. It's somebody sitting down and saying computers, they do things with computers we can do things with computers. It like, and there was a whole rash of those movies throughout the 1980s where people who didn't understand technology suddenly wrote stuff about technology. Right. Let's take a moment to acknowledge the greatest computers exist movie, uh, Superman three. Yes, that is, that's an excellent point. Another great third movie in a franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then it hits this third act where there could be this tremendous payoff and it's set up and you're like, okay, Show it to me. I know you got it in you. 
the mask, the kid melts. All right, we're getting into the thick of it. And then it's just <laughs> almost like the ending of the movie is an afterthought. And it's so disappointing because there, throughout this entire experience, there are things you could hold on to. But at the end of it, from my perspective, it's all looking at it and saying, man, if somebody else had just taken a pass at this script, maybe they could have done something to breathe some more life into it. Well, you know, I really feel, I, I agree with you, John. I think there are so many things working against it. Again, like I said, the having it attached to the Halloween brand only hurts it, as we've discussed in part one. Even, But I couldn't enjoy it separated from that either. Like Even as a standalone, weird, wonky kind of thing, I just couldn't get into it. And part of it was just the overall threat felt so pedestrian. Like it felt like okay, it's an evil it's the uh, end ahead of, the of a world, corporate... Sean. It's the end of the world. This is an apocalyptic <laughs> movie. Felt... All the children are dying. I mean, that all sounds great on paper, but in the movie, it's this guy. It's basically okay. This guy is like the the this business mogul. He's a millionaire who's gotten rich because he's the most popular mask maker, <laughs> Halloween mask maker, in America. And you're trying to figure out. Okay, he created well, what's the, the soft to... chainsaw, Sean. The soft <laughs> and... chainsaw. Well, well, let's also keep in mind he we'll created. Uh, he created sticky toilet paper too. I mean, that's sticky a legend. toilet paper. paper. That's right. <laughs> the dwarf gag. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. Let's let's be real. Respect he has he has made some accomplishments. Power. This movie A plus. So, but really, I the the whole thing I was trying to understand. Okay. So he's he has set things up. They've stolen a portion of Stonehenge. I'm going to try to just like understand the, the evil plot. They've stolen yeah. a portion of Stonehenge and the plan is they're going to take little like grams of Stonehenge, put them mm -hmm. in these, mm -hmm. uh, these silver shamrock badges, mm -hmm. insert them into masks so that they mm -hmm. can sell them to all the children all over the world or not over the world, all over the world, I guess all over the country. We don't get a sense of worldwide scale, but uh, all these kids in America will tune into this television program at a particular time where they will send out a signal that will zap and murder all the children, make them spew snakes and insects and create, I guess, open the door to the apocalypse, as you're saying, Brad, which again, if somebody had told me that was the evil plot of this film, I would have been like, I am 100% on board, but it unfolds in like this. It's not creepy. The, the guy now the, the actor who plays um i, I what is his name dan o'hurley hurley dan o'hurley dan o'hurley yes. Yes. yes from robocop he, he is he's great that's right and the last starfighter and the last starfighter he, he's yeah. but he's great and he's but he's also just like he's a bond villain basically and, the, and just like walking yeah you know what's great sean around. james bond movies now you're taking a dump on james bond movies <laughs> how dare you that is repulsive you can't call yourself a movie fan I don't... and take dumps on james bond movies well some of them you can yes you... <laughs> yeah, sure. i don't want i don't want a large scale I don't want a large scale like villain lair with a villain who waxes poetic about his evil plan in a horror movie unless it's done super tongue in cheek. And this movie is completely straight faced. So I was just like, ah, I wanted I wanted to laugh. I I kind of I chuckled. I had a couple good laughs. I mean, there's it was pretty great when the, they demonstrate the power of of. <laughs> <laughs> the Stonehenge and the Silver Shamrock badge when the kid just 
falls apart and his parents start screaming. That was that was pretty funny. But um, I couldn't get into it mainly because the horror elements that there are necessary for a film like this called Season of the Witch that's about, again, unleashing the apocalypse, human sacrifice. This movie just felt very, like a very, very bland semi-invasion of the body snatchers ripoff, but not even with the creepy undertones of invasion of the body snatchers. So I was just trying to find something to latch on to. And I couldn't. Brad, just give this movie. I, I need a solid defense of this movie. I mean, for me, like I, I hear what you're saying. And watching it last night, I'm watching it with the glasses of a hater uh, because I knew what I was getting myself into. Um, and I was like, okay, I can see the things that a hater would latch on to. And I don't even necessarily disagree with your uh, comments. It is ridiculous uh, or or stupid to use your word although i don't love people based on their intelligence sean um <laughs> but I, I, what i like so much about halloween 3 is what an oddball it is it you're right it's not mm. scary it's not it, it doesn't achieve that if that's what it's going for but it's a really really weird movie that opens with this foot chase uh, with this guy carrying a Halloween mask. He's running for his life. He, he goes through that gas station and there's these weird emotionless white dudes in business suits. They look like IBM consultants and they rip his head from his shoulders. Like, and it's got the best pop squirt sound effect. It's like uh, your fist coming out of a mayo jar. It is so good. That sound design. Um, and you're going, you're like, okay. Okay. The other Halloween's had Michael Myers. And now we're watching weird business dudes kill people. Okay. And they got Halloween masks and there's this commercial going on really terrible. Like it's, it's awful. It would never get on air, but it's like the idea <laughs> of what a terrible commercial might sound like for a mask company. And you have this hero in Tom Atkins, who's this philandering uh, doctor who loves to operate while drunk. Uh, he's a terrible mm. shit to his wife, uh, played by Nancy Keys, who plays Nancy Loomis. Which, the by the Halloween way, I, I, for, I forgot, by the end of the movie, I forgot he was married and had kids because that never I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that ever comes back again. Oh, no, it does. He yeah, calls he, his wife. Yes. Right. But that's yeah. it. And there's nothing at the end to and suggest she's that he still, cares she's at all. She's like, I'm not listening to you because you're a terrible husband. I don't care what you're saying about my children being turned into bug people. Right. And, and at like, the contact? very least, it, it at the very least, it underlines uh, the importance of being a good father. If you're going to be a father. Yes, sure. Right. Because if yes, you're a terrible yes. father, you will not be able to prevent your kids from being turned into bugs. Yeah. So, that's, a, so like, that's one good thing this movie does. And the movie thinks he's this huge sex maniac because he's hitting on his nurses He's hitting on the the lady performing the autopsies. He he bags this uh, girl who is uh, I checked twenty four years younger than him. And, mm -hmm. and and oh my god, he is so mm -hmm. not sexy. Like I love Tom Atkins, but he's super not sexy. But the movie still gives him a butt shot, and I respect that. Thank you for the uh. butt shot. Uh, <laughs> um, and so like it's I, a very strange character to follow. Very strange character. Yes, but I the, but I find him appealing. One of the more uncomfortable moments in the movie is when when they're in bed together and he, he and he crawls on top uh -huh. of, of her. Mm -hmm. And I just had a moment where I was just like, 
I, I no longer know what I'm watching. <laughs> I, uh, I will, I will I'm... top that. I will top that because I will say that even more uncomfortable is when they're uh, in bed together and he stops her and he says, how old are you? And <laughs> at that point, I'm thinking to myself, if you have to ask, that's a problem. That and is also, an issue. If you, you waited to ask. Right. <laughs> after. Yeah. Bad dude. He's a bad dude. But he's kind of, you know what's funny, though? Uh, uh, what is the actor's name? It's, it's Tom, Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. Yeah, Tom Atkins. So what's funny about it is Tom Atkins, I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff. And he he comes across as a lovely human being, and and that's he reflected is? in the way people, the other actors talk about him. That's the reflected in the way the filmmakers talk about him. And somehow, he's able to take this, like you said, he's a womanizer. He's he's pretty despicable. He abandons his family. Somehow, I, and again, I didn't really love the characters. I wasn't. I didn't care about anybody. I didn't really care what happened to them, and I wasn't. I was just baffled by like, why is this doctor and this this dead man's daughter suddenly they're in bed together and now they're they're going off on an adventure to do some detective work? I was just so baffled by just how we got from point A to point Z. But at the same time, but it's in that bafflement, Sean, where the enjoyment happens. It, you got Brad, let me compliment the, the movie. I'm Give trying. Give me a second I, to I'm, compliment. I'm, I'm defensive. I'm defensive. All I want to say. <laughs> Is that I? Even though I didn't like the characters, Tom Atkins is so inherently likable and has such a likable screen presence that you don't hate Doctor Chalice, which is right. stunning to me considering yeah. everything he does in this film. Thank you, Sean, for acknowledging the brilliance of Tom Atkins. I really appreciate <laughs> that. And as the movie progresses, and you start to go, hold up, this is a Halloween film about an. Irish toy maker who steals <laughs> mm-hmm, Stonehenge <laughs> to yes. take down the Americans during this holiday season. All right, that makes correct zero sense. Uh, but I appreciate that somebody thought it did. And uh, <laughs> like that's the kind of appeal with these kinds of movies. They are quizzical, and the enjoyment comes in that uh, quizzicality. That's a word, right? Quizzicality? I completely respect that. And I love, Brad, I love that you love these movies. Let me make that clear. Because first of all, somebody has to love these movies. But I also love that that part of the reason you just embrace films like this is because of that. Like, I, I, I do admire that. And for me personally... What I need when it comes to a film like this is the schlockiness isn't enough for me, and the and the the absurdity isn't enough. It almost has to be something like, uh, like like uh, oh, what's that movie called? Troll Two, where there's legit oh, laugh yeah. out loud. It's so bad, it's good type deal. So when I watch a movie like Halloween Three, and I'm just kind of like, well, nothing is quite. It almost gets there. There are a couple moments where it it's like the moment where at the end. It turns out that uh, what's her name? Ellie is a robot, which I don't think she was a robot. It's not entirely clear, but I don't think she was a robot the entire time. No, no she um, wasn't. She was. No, she wasn't. That, that's so, the whole thing is like he he sees her. There she is laying in the room. They're obviously laying the robot out there as, you know, bait for him to take her. That's what I figured. So I but at the end, when when he chops off her head and that whole exchange is very, very ridiculous. But, you know, it. I, I need if if a bad movie makes me laugh out loud consistently then i i will forgive a lot and unfortunately halloween 3 never 
it's it's bad moments don't excel beyond like i said the plot on paper sounds absurd and in theory i would be 100% head over heels like yes this is ridiculous if only it just felt more ridiculous and you know what one of the things i realized was brad when we were talking about demon knight i i think you mentioned to me you said originally the demons were going to be businessmen and i that, i was thinking about that watching this and i realized i was like oh my god this is basically a really good example of what Demon Knight could have been in the wrong hands, but also if they'd gone the route of using just these guys and you know as government agents or just that boring kind of bland thing, by insisting on having those really awesome demons in the film, that incredible makeup and those those practical uh, effects, it elevates the film and gives it a bit of an edge and Halloween three doesn't quite have that edge. The guys turn out to be robots, but there's nothing Automatons. quite as, as they're whatever you yeah. want to call them. God, Brad, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> I, I, I just, there isn't enough of an edge to them to make them memorable. They're just bland robot people. And, well, and let me let me jump in and say I, I think this is almost like one of those things where it's an ink blot. Like Sean, uh, you and I definitely line up uh, alike, but this is, I think it is such an interesting sort of thing because you wind up walking this fine line because we all love to watch a bad movie that can somehow entertain us, right? And we just have different lines in different spots. The reason I get so frustrated with this movie actually has nothing to do with it being part of the Halloween franchise. Like, like that's okay. They were trying for something. It didn't work, whatever. But the fact that I can sit there and I can watch a movie like this and I see so many of these really neat concepts that are almost there that with just a little bit more pre-production or a, one more pass at the script the concepts you could sit there and you could diagram it and you could say, okay, well, they're talking about the evils of consumerism, which of course is something that appeals to John Carpenter. You look at something like they live. That's very much in the lexicon of a John Carpenter production, you know, to, to sort of warn you against the fact, you know, how does silver shamrock get there by mass consumerism? And there's this, this undertone of the anti-hero and making you cheer for the bad guy in a sense. But then you look at his character and you say, man, if they had just put him in a different profession like reporter, this whole plot works better <laughs> rather than him being a doctor at the emergency <laughs> room. It's like, what? wait, no, wait, what? You know, or have him be a bad cop, have him be a jerk cop sort of thing where it's like it's just in his nature to go seeking the truth about something like this or, you know, or what have you. And so that's what gets me so frustrated with a movie like this when I go in and I watch something like uh, um, a Neil Breen movie I know what I'm getting into from the start <laughs> right there's no expectation there for anything but I look at something like this and I say you could have been successful and should have there's been talent involved there's right. legit talent involved and that's why I get mad that's why I get but mad at it but I also feel like Brad that that's exactly like you. You're I, I'm sure you're listening to John right now and just thinking like, no, I don't want him to be a journalist because how much more insane right. is it that he's a doctor? Right. Yes, and <laughs> I think it's mediocrity is what makes it interesting, right? Like it's it's easy mm. to go like, oh, if you tweaked certain things certain ways, the the movie would be better. That I mean, like you could say that about everything. Like ninety percent of of art is crap. And if you're only looking for the Citizen Kanes of this world, 
you're just going to be mad over and over and over again. You got to look at the movie that you're presented with. And it's those weird choices of like, yeah, why isn't he a cop? Why is he a, a doctor? And why, and why is this doctor going down this rabbit hole of investigation? And, and it, it's, it's that slightly off nature to Halloween three, which I find appealing. It's why I love Roger Corman movies uh, because there's leaps in logic and, and leaps in character that don't quite line up, but sets it apart from the obvious. I want to present a theory here that I, I actually think is true. And I think, uh, again, we kind of touched on it a little bit. And I think a lot of people had have said, you know, if this wasn't a Halloween movie, I think it would have been more successful. I don't agree with that. I think it's success, whatever success you can uh, attach to it, is because it's in this franchise. The yeah. reason it's memorable and the reason it truly stands out is because mm-hmm. of its place in this franchise and everything about it that's fascinating, everything about it that gives it the appeal it has is because of the fact that it doesn't belong here. And yet here it is Halloween three season of the witch. It will forever be in every Blu-ray set that you buy for this movie franchise. People discovering the series for the first time will watch it. will feel that utter bafflement at what's happening and why, where is Michael? So I would argue that this has to be, a Halloween movie. It has to be a part of this franchise in order to, to, to achieve the full effect. I think that it, it has. Well, it certainly adds a layer of mystique and uh, puzzlement to it. And I think it probably extends its conversation um, in the mainstream horror uh, world. Uh, I, I do think if, if it was completely separate from the Michael Myers franchise, it would still have fans. It would be a movie like the entity or I don't know, like basket case or uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever other horror films came out in the early eighties because I I think it is a very strange film. And when you watch this movie with a crowd that is, has put their money down to watch it. Like when you go and watch it on a big screen, I've now seen it at the Alamo. I've seen it at the AFI silver and th- those crowds do eat it up uh, because oh, I you believe it. put yourself into the vibe of the movie. It's not a film that is going to win people over if you haven't kind of maybe given yourself over to its uh, weirdness or uh, mediocrity or absurdity or whatever. But I, like I'm, I, I'm saying like I'm totally willing to give over to its weirdness and and its its questionable choices until it tries to wrap itself up and it suddenly seems to hit this gas pedal for no reason to speed things up and instead of having like it, it's building slowly and kind of annoyingly uh, you know as it goes a little a little bit much to to get there sort of thing. But once you hit the payoff, you're like, oh, okay, here's the turning point. And then it just 
bungles through that and it's do you mean kind of just like the way it's like how do we defeat these guys oh just dump a bunch of shamrock pins on them. that's part of it that's part of it great i love that moment i love that (laughs) moment you go here's these guys they've they've got that whole little computer set up and they just get rained upon by their own technology and get all zapped could that effect have been better sure but i think it's a fun little moment and then you have daniel hurley doing that little slow golf clap and uh you know i love the dude in that moment Uh, but that like that's that's a part of my complaint but like and that in and of itself in the in the in the grand scheme of the ending is actually a cute moment that i enjoy right especially the golf clap i i honestly think any of the 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 weight to what's going on is dana hurley's work like he's great i love watching him work he's terrific like i there's a part of me if he doesn't get zapped at the end of this i'm thinking to myself oh well i'm gonna work this into robocop continuity he went from here and he <laughs> took over a OCP and it's just a few years later. Makes total sense. But like what it is, is it just hits these moments to get them along to the end. It's almost like it knows how good the cliffhanger is going to be. And so it doesn't have the patience to reward you for getting to the big escape scene. It just wants to get there as quickly as possible. And as a result, there are these these steps that are just skipped along the way. And so I, I almost wind up walking out with a feeling of this mood, like they sort of in the editing booth realized, well, okay, we got to get a couple more showings in in the opening week because people aren't going to be in love with this. And so they chop up a ton of stuff out of it. And so it, it feels staccato. It, it loses any of the rhythm that it has built up to that point. And unlike other Halloween movies, there are, there's a lot of there are a lot of director's cuts, and this movie does not have a director's cut, correct? I don't think so. It, it's gotta ha- it's gotta have a TV cut. I don't think there's a director's cut, but it's got to have a TV cut because there's no way that when this showed on TV, I saw the the resultant shot of the woman getting hit in the face with the bean, yeah. uh, or or the entire detail of a rattlesnake coming out of the kid's dissolved face to bite the like I I remember seeing the dad get bitten, but. They definitely cut that stuff up. I do, and so as a result, like they would always have TV versions specifically so that it could fit the two hour runtime while making the cuts necessary for, you know, young eyes that would happen across right. the thing. So th- there right. has to be a TV cut out there. It is weird speaking to your point there, John, about the ending, because it feels like in a lot of ways, the climax is finally seeing that snake come out of that kid's mouth. And then the movie does sort of mm. slow back down after they escape with the robot girl and all of that stuff. And then they have to ramp back up again to the climax. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. does like hit the brakes and that when it hits the brakes, that's maybe not the, the move you would want in that moment. Right. I, and you could have had, um, well, you know, again, uh, you can second guess anything, but but that but that's the thing, right? Is that cliffhanger ending, despite everything else, despite all of my complaints up to that point, to this day, I watch that cliffhanger ending, and Tom Atkins plays it so perfectly that you want to forgive every mistake that came before when he turns and slightly you know is on the verge of breaking the fourth wall as he delivers that final stop it. It's such a great moment, and it, it's it's just one of those things where I just wish the movie deserved it as, as well, much as also, it should. It, it's brilliantly played because I'm watching it, 
knowing I, I think and I, I'm almost positive I've seen the ending of this movie before, but I'd forgotten the way it played out with the kid having it on the channel. And then it's like, oh, it's OK. We, we turned it off. We canceled the broadcast. And the kid just goes click and it's back on. And I just thought the, the way it plays out, the pacing of it and just the suspense of it was so clever and almost funny like that was a moment that got a genuine laugh for me because it was so brilliant like oh we finally did it nope easy i'll change the channel so i will agree i think the ending of this film is really really great and a great ending to a a better movie it's just almost like this weird perfectly constructed moment that comes at the tail end of this experience where i was like well this movie could have been full of moments like this and then it would have been so much better but i i do want to talk because we're talking about things we liked i do want to talk about some things i liked because obviously we've been beating up on the movie i want to throw brad a bone um some of the things i liked first of all the soundtrack is amazing i wish Mm -hmm. it was available somewhere uh on vinyl on streaming services i i loved the soundtrack so much and i feel like I, I I hear the influence of this film soundtrack in things like Stranger Things. It it, it definitely mm-hmm. feels like even though the movie has this reputation of people not liking it, somehow that score is so good that it has kind of crept its way into the lexicon of of this kind of cinema, the eighties horror cinema. Um, so I love that. I also I I genuinely loved the moment where he finds the old woman knitting. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, where, where's, where's Ellie? And then the head falls off. That was a really genuinely creepy moment. I liked that a lot. And I, I, uh, I loved to hate the jingle, the commercial jingle, which just drove <laughs> me insane. But I, I did love the, the payoff, like I said, of the, uh, <laughs> the kid's face just getting ripped apart. And the, oh, also the woman playing with the, the little, the little medallion. And I don't know. I couldn't remember how she got it, but I thought it was so funny that her instinct was, what is this thing? Oh, there's a chip in it. I'm just going to keep poking it until something happens. And then it blasts her face off. And it's one of the few good gore moments in the movie. And I'm not a big gore fan, but especially for like a slasher movie or a film in the Halloween series, I expected there to be more creative kills. So that was one. And then the kid watching TV was one. I, I at least got those, but the rest of it, I was kind of like, Oh, it would be nice if it wasn't just businessmen kind of just pulling people's heads off. But John, are there any moments for you that like, besides the ending that you really, really enjoy? Well, first and foremost, I want to speak to the soundtrack. I think it is available on Spotify. Um, I'm not entirely certain of that, but uh, I think the soundtrack is great, and I think that uh, something that gets overlooked sometimes, because everybody knows Carpenter composes music for his movies too, but I definitely think the the period in time where Alan Howarth joins him yeah. uh, from like Halloween 2 forward, the music just goes off the charts better. Like it, 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 As much as I love the first Halloween most of all, the score for Halloween 2 is, is the better of the two, hands down. Without, without question. Um, Howarth is a great collaborator with Carpenter. Um, I do think that there are, I, I agree with the, the, you know, the woman fiddling with the chip sort of thing. I do think that there are just legitimately interesting things. This is a movie that's full of such interesting concepts that as much as I don't like reboots and remakes, I would love to see somebody come at this material and redo it now. Um, I do find it interesting 
because you, you talk about the gore factor, that we have that perfect setup of one of the robots, I'm sorry, automata, showing up to <laughs> Thank you. put the drill into uh, uh, you know the, the, the coroner's head or whatever. And like, it, but it cuts away. And it's like, it, that's an odd moment because even Halloween 2 recognized the need to up the game in terms of the gore factor because the, the landscape had changed. And this one, I was, I'm so, I'm always so surprised that they don't sh have some sort of cheap shot of the drill going into the ear sort of thing. I thought that was a really interesting move. And I actually like the scene better because of it, because something like that, I don't want to see. And if you put it in my brain anyway, that, you know, that's a good way to handle it. And again, I, I think that, um, just to, you know, the, the, even though it's a slow build, it is not so maddening slow that you're willing to walk away from it. They're, they're, it doesn't ask too much of you on, on the walk up. And I think that um, just as a final mention, I will always love the shot, the, the, you know, the moment where the first robot sets itself on fire um, yeah, because the, the glassy eyed yeah. expression, you know, that's a great, great moment. And um you know, so yeah, and I love the. You know what? I love the gas station attendant too. Yeah, I think he's he's just a fun character, and he's he's played really, uh, really for some silly fun. Brad, what about you? Well, I I love that that moment when the android lights himself on fire in the car in front of Tom Atkins. The first time you watch that, I find that that scene to be quite unsettling, and I like the idea of how that truly disturbs uh Kalis's character uh and sets him on this mystery plus the the daughter of the dead dude uh being so cute he 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 feels compelled to do it um and i like also how when he does go to this weird town it is very stepfordy and you know they they call it the company town and they're the the guy at the the hotel clerk it, it's all uneasy and i and i like that unease i wish they explored the town a little bit more and we peeled mm -hmm. back the veneer of that place a little bit more as well uh but but i like that as just a general setup uh, again you, Sean, you mentioned how it has like a little bit of an invasion of the body snatchers feel to it where everyone seems slightly off i like all of that uh, quite a bit. Uh, I mentioned before we started watching the the movie the other night is the cinematography by Dean Cundy, I also think is quite strong. Mm -hmm. And I love the night shots when Tom Atkins is crawling around the roof of the factory and you've got this ridiculous silver shamrock emblem behind his shoulder on the wall and they've like pumped you know smoke in front of the lens i i think the movie looks really really nice i liked the uh the trick-or-treat stuff too i thought that was definitely yeah. the some of the money shots and obviously the one of the posters for the film is the kids walking but i don't know if we ever get that extreme color it would have been nice i i think because um Again, I know, I'm trying not to compare it so much to the other films that I've seen in this franchise because I know it's not quite the same, but they do make a point of it's Halloween. This is happening on Halloween. But I I loved the way John Carpenter captured the mood of the season and the leaves and everything like that. And just the fact that we're so in this kind of sterile world and 
the small town vibe, like you said, Brad, I think that's a great idea. I would have loved to see a little bit more of these people kind of brainwashed and maybe even kind of a wicker man thing where at the end it turns out the whole town was in on it and and now they're gonna like sacrifice the doctor he's gonna be the one to be the ultimate sacrifice that will open the doors oh a healer of life you've saved so many lives and by taking yours we will it'll be the ultimate sacrifice you know there's just some fun fun angles to play there that i i think they could have taken advantage of and something else too i i i thought the whole TV element kind of like what John was saying was going to play a bigger role. I thought they were going to, they kind of hint at it in consumerism and how television is brainwashing kids, but they don't go full on into it. I almost wish they'd done that again. Just a little bit of polish would have helped make that. I also think like their budget's so low, right? Like they still have a slasher movies budget. So it would be awesome to really explore the television side to meet some, you know, characters within the studios or, or what have you and, and explore the technology, but they, they really, all they can afford is IBM consultants on the loose. Yeah. Well, I, but, but that's, but that's the thing that, you know, to speak to the television thing again, gets the idea of how ripe this is for a more modern take for somebody to take this and remake it, call it whatever you want to. Um, you know, pay Carpenter a truckload of money or, or whatever, but it almost seems, and this is where I'll say something really nice about it. It seems that the (laughs) biggest, the biggest problem for it is it's so far ahead of its time in a sense, accidentally, because you could see this movie being done where what the kids have to watch is like an app on their phone or something like that. And that makes it even more diabolical because there's no way to stop it. How are you going to stop it sort of thing? And it, you know, it, it changes the landscape and everything like that. But it's almost as if modern society is even more set up for the kind of commentary that yeah. maybe this movie was trying to make. Uh, it just was, you know, almost like a, a prophet who can see 10 years down the line and you're only thinking two years down the line. And then when it comes to pass, you go, oh, wow, that guy knew what he was talking about. You know, that sort of thing. At the end, when he's going to say, stop it, he's only saying stop it to three channels, right? Like all they had to do was shut off three channels. Whereas like today, <laughs> it would be like 900 channels, an infinite amount of channels. And also because you're broadcasting from like a, a satellite or whatever, there's no end to, are people streaming it? Are people watching it via another right. means? But I wonder, it, it won't happen, but I'm just saying this because I wonder if this would be a fun topic of conversation. Do you think this is something that would ever be revisited in one of these Halloween requels? We're getting a couple of them. Do you think there's any aspect of Season of the Witch that maybe even as like an inside joke they might address in these sequels? Or do you think, they just look at this as like, nope, nope, that's the, we learned our lesson, never again. No, they already had their end joke in uh, in the Halloween that came out in 2018 because there were kids on the street in the three silver sh- shamrock masks that walked by <laughs> camera. That's great. Yeah. I wouldn't have known that, but all right. Well, I feel like I'm getting a lot off my chest. I feel like, John, I hope you feel somewhat validated. And I, Brad, mm-hmm. I, I hope we didn't break your heart too much, but it's is okay. there anything else... Is there anything else that you guys want to say about Halloween 3 that we haven't said already that you feel needs to be said? And Brad, we'll start with you. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, to, to me, 
uh, I, you know, I always have a good time with this movie. Uh, it's such a strange film. That's where I end up falling on it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a good looking movie. I think Tom Atkins is incredibly watchable. I love the gore of this film. And uh, I, I could have gone. I, I wish the franchise had been. Uh, it followed this this concept rather than the Michael Myers concept there. That's what I think. <laughs> John. I too wish it had not followed the Michael Myers uh, concept because that was that uh, clearly illustrated what we would call the law of diminishing returns uh, without doubt. Uh, I will say that as much as I might have um, been beating up on this movie, I can't escape it. And Sean, you were complaining about the commercial and the music for the commercial. Halloween's never going to be the same for you, buddy. Just welcome to the club. (laughs) Every Halloween, it, as soon as somebody says, hey, Halloween's coming in the back of your brain, you're going to go, dun, 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 Eight more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Uh, you can't get it out of your brain. It's done. Oh, no. You're right. I was even walking around thinking about it, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's we're still a couple weeks away. Uh, I can't say 14, 14 days till Halloween. Oh, no. It works. I can't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... As I said, I think this movie needs to be part of this franchise. And in a way, that to me is the most endearing thing about it. Because I do want to acknowledge that, I, especially, I'm glad I, I had the time to watch the documentary. I It's a lot of people that like very clearly cared about what they were doing. And I feel bad for Tommy Lee Wallace and the fact that this movie got so much hate. It's not that much of a surprise that it did. But I'm glad that people are kind of finding it and latching onto it in a way they didn't when it was first released. But I think even without Michael Myers, it needs to be a part of this. And I agree, I kind of would have liked to see this series take on an anthology mode of thinking, like that kind of mode of of filmmaking and storytelling. But what Season of the Witch is missing is it's Michael Myers. There's nothing that's quite as iconic or as threatening or as frightening as uh, as michael and i think that's its biggest downfall but um overall i i'm not i'm not mad i watched it at least i'm i'm glad and i i think i appreciate what everyone involved in the project was going for but i guess uh, our, our final ratings will do is silver shamrock medallions brad on a scale from one to five with one being the lowest and five being the highest how many would you gift Halloween three season of the witch. Uh, I was surprised that I, you know, uh, when I went on the letterbox last night after I watched it, that uh, the last time I saw it, which was at the AFI, I gave it four. And initially I was like, I was going to give it three and a half, but I'll go with my gut feeling with my, or I'll go with my original feeling of four, which is it the most honest feeling. I don't know, but I'm sticking with four. I'm sticking with four. All right. And what about you, John? I don't want to be mean to the movie and I want to recognize that it is still one of the great cliffhangers. So my logical Spock brain says one and a half, but my heart will give it to attack of the clones, man. Okay. You don't want to start this conversation. I will give it, I will give it two stars uh, simply because of the commercial and the ending. So I'll, I'll bump it an extra half star because I'm feeling generous today. I, I think uh, after watching that documentary, I, I will give it two stars as well, uh, especially again, just the, the sheer the, the sheer sincerity with which it was made and the genuine love. I, I can't help but admire 
kind of the sheer gall of <laughs> making it but that's that I'll, two out of five two silver shamrock medallions so gentlemen i i thank you for joining me i feel like we were able to get a lot out on the table we were able to vent we were able to express emotions we had some laughs we cried a little i cut all that out so the audience wouldn't have to experience the awkwardness <laughs> of it uh, but uh john you as a fellow nerd party member you have uh, at least a cup, one or two podcasts, don't you, that are going on? Why don't you tell the people at home about it? Oh, sure. Uh, you can find me here on the network um, on a regularly occurring show called Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast, uh, a Parsec award-winning show, actually. We have a lot of fun with that one. And you can find me on a couple of archived shows, but you can also find me most recently on House of Fincher, where we looked over all of the directorial efforts of David Fincher uh, in the lead up for his Netflix movie starring Gary Oldman, Mank. And if you want to find me on social media, look for Kessel Junkie on Twitter and Letterboxd and blah, blah, everywhere else. Um, and <laughs> over on uh, KesselJunkie.com, where I, I love to write. And Brad, where can the people find you as well? First off, I really had to go and crap on Attack of the Clones to the guy who has the Aggressive Negotiations podcast. For that, I'm apologizing. <laughs> oh, uh, it's all good. But I, I, I am appearing on the Pod Wars podcast to discuss Anakin and Padme's relationship this weekend. So uh, go, go check that podcast out. Ooh. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, you can find me uh, everywhere else on Twitter, Instagram, at MouthDork. Uh, listen to my wife and I talk about comic books on Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Of course, there's Rest in Pictures, where uh, we, we celebrate the legends that have left us, uh, me and my buddy Aaron Prescott. So, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. I feel like, personally, I let down all the Halloween 3 fans out there who are like, man, I wish I had been on this podcast to properly defend this movie. No, no. I think you did no. an you, admirable you, job. You did the best job that any human being could possibly do defending this movie, Brad. <laughs> Except that for whatever you will. Oh, and boy. I'm at Yay Shondor Man on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at Shondor Man, and I'm on Letterboxd as well. Same thing, Shondor Man. Uh, I want to thank my guests again. Gentlemen, always a pleasure speaking with you. 14 days till Halloween, 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 Halloween. 14 days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Only. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 